0: And in this thing, in this event, will I choose God's way or will I choose the world's way? And that's really what our days are made up of as followers of Christ. Are we going to side with God in his way or are we going to go the way of the world? Well, here's the question. Here's the question tonight. Why in the world would we ever choose against God's way? And that's really a great question. That's a a huge question. Whatever the choice, why would we ever, and I mean ever, why would we ever choose against God's way? If that's the decision we're making, why would we ever even consider choosing against God's way? Is God the creator? Yes. Is he the sustainer? Yes. Is he possessing all wisdom? We know that he is. Is he perfect? In his wisdom, is he good? Does he actually want what is best for us? Think about all of those things. Why would we choose anything out of his directing? That sounds absolutely crazy, doesn't it? Why would we choose anything outside of his leading, outside of his plan? Well, here's the deal tonight. I believe there are two reasons. Now, there may be more than two reasons, but I've I've come up with these two reasons. I believe there are two primary reasons. One of them is sin. We do not care what he says. We rebel against what he says. It's called sin. And so he says this thing, and we reject it, and really in doing so, we reject him. And so one of the reasons that we would not do What he calls for us to do, what he leads for us to do is just flat sin. We sin. We want to do what we want to do. And so we reject him and we reject his wisdom. It's sin. That's one reason. The other reason that I believe we do not do what he's directed is because we do not know what he's directed. We do not know what he has said. Now, very... Simply tonight, we are not proficient in His Word. And I'll just tell you, there's a whole lot of folks that we're just going through life and in neglect of His Word, we are missing the wisdom and the direction of His way. We're missing the direction of His Word. Now, let me just tell you something. What a sad thing to go through life And to get to some latter day and to learn God had better here. God had better in my relationships. God had better in my home life, in my family, in my my marriage. God had better for my business. God had better for my peace of mind. God had so much better things for my finances. What a sad thing to get to the end and see that God had better, but I missed it. I thought it was interesting this morning, looking at the verse, John chapter 16, verse 33, that Jesus says, these things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. Now, I'm not sure I've always realized what it said there or I've always caught what it was saying there, but Jesus says, these things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. His peace is found in the directing of his word. And that's what he's saying in, in John 16. His peace is realized, is found in the directing of his word. Now in the context, it was talking about the preceding conversation, the previous chapters. He was talking about how Christians are going to be treated in the world. He was going to be talk, He was talking about the people of the world. He was talking about the role of prayer. He was talking about the role of the Holy Spirit. And so in the context, it was the preceding conversation. But in practice, I believe it's wise and it's prudent to say it is from all of his word. We have peace in the leading of his word. Now let me tell you, tonight that again is our goal. And tonight that again is our process We are becoming, now I want you to see the bigness, the hugeness of this. We are becoming proficient in the wisdom of God through the study of the Word of God. Now, you thought you just came to Sunday night church, but it's bigger than that. You are becoming proficient in the wisdom of God as we study the Word of God. Now, here's what I want to tell you, and you're figuring this out. You know what it is? It's work. You know, there's a lot of things you could have done tonight. There's a lot of folks, things that folks did fail to do tonight. Guess what? It is effort. It's effort. I wish that the peace of Christ just sat down on us and we walked out and we had it. But you know what it says? In his word, we realize the peace of Christ. But let me tell you something else. And I can promise you this. It is work, yes. And it is an effort, yes. But let me promise you this. It will bear fruit it will bear fruit. You will be blessed as you become proficient in the wisdom of God through the study of the word of God. Let me tell you this tonight. Listening some other way, listening here tonight. You will be better for the study that we do tonight. You will be better. All right, tonight we're in Proverbs. We've moved now to the 21st chapter, and that's where we'll start back tonight. Proverbs Chapter 21, beginning in verse 1, the king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. The king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. You ever had water run through your hand and you can direct it over this way and you can direct it over that way? That is the picture of the verse. Now, it means this, God is sovereign. God is in control, totally, fully in control, even over all of the kings and all of the rulers. Sometimes we ascribe to them a special place or a, a higher authority, but this verse tells us God is in control. He is sovereign over all of the kings and all of the rulers. Let me tell you something, our president... Whether he obeys God or not is under the rule of God. This president, the previous presidents, whether they submit and obey God or not, they are under the rule of God. Vladimir Putin right now, all the trouble he started up, you know what? He is under the rule of God. Now, I want to say this. However, that is not saying that all of their decisions are wise. Some might say that, well, God directed their decisions. It's not saying all of their decisions or their actions are wise. That's not saying all of their decisions or all of their actions are good. We know better than that. But it is saying that their actions, whether good or bad, can be used as tools in the hand of God. That's what that is saying. Now, listen. Does God cause evil? Listen, never. He does not cause evil. Does God force evil? Never. He does not force evil. That's not his character. Is God ultimately responsible for evil? Not according to his character revealed in his word. But here's the deal. He will use the evil actions of people for his plan, for his cause. Let me me point this out and we'll move on. The Bible tells us one of the ways that God judges a nation is to remove wise leadership from that nation. That nation has ignored him, that nation has railed against him. One of the ways that he might judge them is to remove wise leadership from that nation. I don't know, that might sound familiar. And then the people suffer the consequences of that that leader, making terrible decisions. He's removed wise leadership, maybe for president after president after president in our nation. And the goal is that hopefully suffering the consequences, that they would turn and they would return to him. The king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. All right, verse 2. Every man's way is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the hearts. Every man's way is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the hearts. Now, there's a couple of things we can pull out of this verse that we can pull out of this verse here. The first thing we see is in God's wisdom, He is again revealing to us, telling us, The nature of man. Here's the nature of mankind. We believe we're right. Isn't that a weird thing? That's human nature. We believe we are right. It is built into us. We naturally think we know better than other folks. That's natural. We we naturally think that our way is best. Our way has got to be best. We naturally think you should do those things in the way that I would tell you to do those things. Now, Carrie's going to tell you that's a description of me. We think we're right. We think we know better. We think we have all the right advice. You know what? That's common to people. That's human nature. We think we're right. That's why we have arguments. But the verse says, but the Lord weighs the heart. Every person thinks they're right, but the Lord weighs the heart. Now, he has an advantage. He has something we do not. He knows the heart. He's able to see the heart. He can see our intentions. He can see a person's motivations. He can see the evil of the heart. And he measures, not the big words, not the maybe the, the, the actions. He measures, he weighs the heart. Now, here's the thing of verse 2. I'll sum it up like this. Verse 2, be careful of people and trust the Lord. That's what I'll sum up verse 2 as. You know what we ought to do? Be careful of people and trust the Lord. Verse 3. To do righteousness and justice is desired by the Lord more than sacrifice. This is a very important verse, a very telling verse. We see it, the theme of it consistently in Scripture. To do righteousness and justice Is desired by the Lord more than sacrifice. In the Old Testament, as we read, we see that the way that they would show devotion or commitment to God or obedience or love for God was done through the giving of offerings and sacrifices. And you can go back and think about the accounts in the Old Testament. Noah gets off the ark, what does he do? He builds an altar and he praises the Lord. He worships the Lord. Abraham, he gets to the promised land. You know what he does? He builds an altar, and he praises the Lord. Jacob meets the Lord there, and guess what he does? He builds an altar, and he praises the Lord, and he offers sacrifices unto the Lord. Joshua, he crosses the Jordan River. Guess what he does? He takes 12 stones out, and he makes a marker, and guess what? He worships the Lord. And from that... People have grown to want to show their devotion through offerings and sacrifice. You know what? I want to do a bigger thing. I want to do a more convincing thing. I want to have a more convincing display. I love the Lord, and I want to show you that I'm committed, and so I'll offer some great offering unto the Lord. Here's what the verse says. God desires, instead, doing righteousness and justice. Now, let me explain. We, we may not like that, but that's the reality. If you want to honor God, if you want to please God, if you want to exalt God, an act of worship is to do righteousness and justice. Now, let me show you those two words. Righteousness means, very simply, right living. Now, there is a righteousness that is a standing with God, and we only have that through faith in Jesus. But righteousness here is talking about right living, godly living, living that emulates the character of God. Here's what God is like. We're going to model that. We're going to mimic that. And we're going to live in the character of God. It means this, to do the right thing, to do the godly thing. In all situations, we're going to do the godly thing. You know what? Here's a situation. You know what I want to do? The godly thing, the righteous thing. If it's seen or if it's unseen, nobody's even going to know about it. What God wants from us as an act of worship is to do the right thing, to do the godly thing. The word for justice means to uphold justice for all people, to make sure it's fair and just for all people. We're not to be uneven in our dealings with people. We're not to discriminate in our dealings with people, but we are to be just as God is just, and we are to uphold justice. And so you know what? Our act of worship is to do the right thing and uphold justice. I was thinking about this this afternoon, And I remembered a guy from college. I haven't seen him since then. His name was Abe Jones. And a- Abe Jones was a sweet mate in our little apartment, our, our football dorm. He was in high school, Mr. North Carolina football. His senior year, he's the greatest football player in the state of North Carolina, Mr. North Carolina football. He was fast. He was a running back. As a running back, I remember the first day I met him, we were in the locker room. He's six foot three, two 240 pounds. He looks like he's chiseled out of stone. He ran a 4 4 40. Now, I'm thinking, man, this is a heck of a linebacker. And he said, I'm a running back. Abe was a great person, good guy. Abe was the only guy I know. We're about 19, 20 years old at this point. He's the only person I knew at that time that actually read his Bible. In fact, he's the only person I knew during that whole time period that actually carried his Bible with him. And I remember we'd go to the locker room and he'd put his Bible up on a shelf. We'd go to the cafeteria and he'd have his Bible there by his lunch tray. We'd be doing something. He'd have his King James Bible. When he quoted it, he would use the King James. Abe had this thing that when people would do something that was not righteous, whatever that was, maybe they were cussing, maybe they were fighting, maybe they were arguing, Abe would say this, Hey, Toby, Hey, Fred Lester. Hey, Nick O'Brien. That's not going to get you where I'm going. That's what he'd say. Hey, that's not going to get you where I'm going. Or He'd see somebody there being an argument. He'd push it and say, hey, hey, guys, that's not going to get you where I'm going. At night, we had a routine. We'd go to the store there in this town, and we would ride four or five or six of us in a car. We'd go to the grocery store. And we would go back, and the store was open all night, I believe. We'd go back at, at 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock at night. We'd go back to the bakery section, and they would have racks of donuts. And there would be donuts back there, and they were 10 cents each. And we'd go back there, and we'd pick out, hey, I want a sprinkles, and I want chocolate, and, and I want a glazed donut. And we'd stack up four, five, six, seven, eight donuts each, and then we'd walk to the front to the cashier, and we'd pay for our donuts. We had a, a, a practice that sometimes we'd eat two or three donuts on the way to the cashier. And so we'd go to the back, and we might get six donuts, and we might pay for three donuts. We'd, we'd eat a chocolate on the way on aisle two, and we'd get up and turn the corner by the magazines. We might eat our glazed donut there, and we'd think, they're just 10 cents, and, and hey, we're just a bunch of guys, and we'd laugh, we'd joke, and we'd eat a couple donuts on the way to the cashier. I, I think we thought it was a free sample. We'd pay for the rest of the donuts. One night, and this was our pattern. Abe's with us. He never did that. He'd be with us. He never did it. One night, on the way from the back to the cashier, Abe Jones ate one of those donuts. And we saw it, and we just laughed. We didn't say a word to him. He ate one of those donuts. We all did it. We didn't say a word to him. We paid for our donuts, the ones we got up there with. We got in the car, we piled back in the car, we're going back to school, turn the radio up, we're laughing, everybody's sitting there, Everybody still got their donuts piled up. And somebody in the car said, hey, Abe, that's not gonna get you where you're going. And I remember Abe froze. And he said, stop the car. And we all started laughing, he's just joking, he said, stop the car. We said, Abe, he's just messing with you, stop the car. And we, we pulled around and stopped the car, and Abe Jones got out of the car, and he said, forgive me, Lord. And he walks into this counter, and they, don't have, they have no idea what he's doing, and he puts a dime down on that counter. He gets back in the car. Radio wasn't playing. Nobody spoke the rest of the ride back to school. Psalm 51 says, For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You're not pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. To do righteousness and justice is desired by the Lord more than sacrifice. Moving to verse 4. Haughty eyes and a proud heart, the lamp of the wicked is sin. Haughty eyes and a proud heart, the lamp of the wicked is sin. Now verse 4 is another verse warning or describing our human nature. Be aware of these things. Verse 4 means the wicked person, the evil person, sees through the lens of sin. That's how they see things. That's the lens they perceive and interpret things through. I I worked with a guy one time and he said, what people accuse you of or accuse others of is showing what they would do if they had the chance. And that's what he used to say. You watch people and, and if they accuse you of something, if they accuse others of doing something, it's because they think that way and they're revealing what they would do if they had the chance. I've noticed maybe you have... People sometimes think things that never enter into my head. You think my lens, I never even thought about doing something like that. But it says here the wicked person, they see and they interpret and they perceive through the lens of sin. It says, Haughty eyes. Haughty eyes mean me first eyes, I'm better than you eyes. I'm first, I'm above, and I'm before you eyes. That's what it means to have haughty eyes. You look at folks and you think, you know what, I'm above you, I'm better than you, I'm more deserving than you. A proud heart translates an arrogant heart, a condescending heart. That's the motivation the Bible shows us of the wicked person. I'm better than you, I deserve more than you, I want what you have, and they see through the lens All right, verse 5. I like verse 5. The plans of the diligent lead surely to advantage, but everyone who is hasty comes surely to poverty. Listen to that again. The plans of the diligent lead surely to advantage, but everyone who is hasty comes surely to poverty. Verse 5 starts off, and it says, The plans of the diligent lead surely to advantage. The word for diligent, it's a a great word in the Hebrew. It means this, sharp, of substance. That's the most literal translation, of substance. This diligent person, they're sharp. They're, They're of substance. They think and they consider, and they do the work, and, they, and they're not sloppy. They're not lazy. They're a, they're a person that, that they have something. They're of, of substance. It says their plans. Now, here's what that means. They made a plan. This sharp person, this person of substance that's not sloppy They've made a plan. They've considered all the things, all the angles. They've measured it out. Well, that person and their plan, it leads to an advantage. That word means a gain, a profit. The person that is sharp, that is of substance, that's not lazy, that measures it out, that considers all the angles, that puts in the work, it leads to an advantage or a profit. But it says this, but everyone... Who is hasty comes surely to poverty. I want you to notice some words in that part, that section. Notice it says everyone. Everyone says, notice it says the word surely. This is the end result. This is what will happen to everyone. The word is hasty, it means hurried. And it's kind of a complicated word to translate, but because of the hurry, it means withdrawn. And so it's a person that's moving quickly, so they're skipping over things. They're they're not as invested, they're withdrawn. It means what they do is done in quickness. They're the opposite of that other person. They're not measuring, they're not working, they're not considering They're not making an effort. Notice here, it doesn't say about their plan. They didn't make a plan. This type of person, they just go. They let the cards fall where they may. And here's what happens. They see the opposite of success. Look at our world. Look at our culture. And then I want you to think about this. Isn't it interesting God cares about this? Well, I thought he just wanted us all to be saved. I thought he just worries about matters of salvation. Isn't it interesting God in his word tells us to be diligent in our labors and that'll be profitable? Tells us if we're, if we're lazy and hasty, it will not bring success. God gives wisdom for this. The way of God is this, do it right do it right. Don't be sloppy. Don't be negligent. You do it right. God wants to bless us with success. I watch these guys on TV and they promise success and success and God will do this and He'll bless you with this and you'll have favor like this. God wants us to have success, but He tells us the way we have success is to mirror the character of God, to work hard, and to do it right. All right, verse 6. This will be our last verse tonight. The acquisition of treasures by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor, the pursuit of death. Verse 6 tells us, and it's a reoccurring theme. Verse 6 tells us, to God, how you achieve success matters. How you do it matters. We live in an age where, it says, where we say, just do it. Just accomplish it. Success is all that matters. Well, guess what? To God, how you do it matters. All the way through Proverbs, here's what it teaches us. We, as God's people, are to reflect the character of God. We we are to copy the character of our God. We do righteousness. It says the gain of treasures, whatever those are, By the lying tongue, they're like a vapor. It's been a long time. It's kind of dry around here. But you ever get up in the morning and there's a a deep fog, an imposing fog, and, and, and you can't see to get to work, can't see to get out of the driveway, can't see down the road, can't see the headlights that are right in front of you, and it's this heavy, deep fog. You ever notice it always burns off? Man, this may never lift. This may, we might be stuck here forever. It always burns off. And it's just as fast it was there, it was gone. The Bible says ill-gotten gains are just like that. Now, the verse goes further, and so we understand, so we get the heaviness of that. It says it is the pursuit of death. And so gaining things by lying, cheating, it's not a small thing. It is a big thing. The Bible says it is the pursuit of death. All right, we're going to wrap it up right there, but I want you to see two things as we do. In our verses again tonight, in our study again tonight, we see, we realize two things. God's plan and God's grace walking in God's wisdom blesses us. And I think we need to say that. You know what? Walking according to God's plan, it's not a difficulty. It's not a punishment. It's not a burden. When we walk in God's gracious plan using his wisdom, it is a blessing to us. It is the best way to live. And so that's the first thing we see again tonight. It is a good, kind, gracious thing that God tells us how to live. Second thing is this. Walking in God's plan using his wisdom brings glory to him now i want you to think this is how we're going to close tonight think about that living according to god's wisdom actually putting it into action in obedience brings glory to god what is that that's worship that's what worship is All these verses, you know what, more than sacrifices, more than burnt offerings, true worship is this. When we live according to his character, when we try to copy his character, when we do the right thing, it brings glory to him. That is an act of worship. Maybe the greatest act of worship is not some event that we have, not some offering that we would give. It is a life given in obedience to reflect the glory of God. You know what, some folks say, well, I'm not... A big singer, I'm not loud like that. I, I don't do things that are noticed. Do you know I think this, I truly believe it. the greatest act of true worship is to live a life in obedience to the wisdom that God has given us. You know why it points glory to Him. I'm going to ask if you'll stand, please. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come tonight, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful for the opportunity to have it, to hold it. The graciousness, the kindness that you show us, to, that you give us to, to lead us through it. I, I pray, Lord, that if we've heard in this room, as others have heard in some other means, that we've seen your character more clearly. That we've been encouraged to exhibit your character more carefully. And that, yes, it will be a blessing to us. Lord, we're thankful for that. But, Lord, I pray that it will be an act of worship exalting you and your character and your goodness shown to us. Lord, help us in this. Bring it back to mind and your spirit that lives in us. Help empower it. And let us be a people that are different from the world we live in. And then, Lord, we just tell you, all of this, we praise you. We worship you. We exalt you. Lord, I pray as we close out this Lord's Day thanking you that we have a risen Savior, that we have an enduring hope. We have a Lord, a King, coming again named Jesus. Lord, I pray that we live and we worship and the pattern of this coming week is set according to what we know, what we've reconfirmed tonight. Lord, I pray for the folks here tonight. Bless them, encourage them, prepare them. Give us opportunities. Use us. for your your good and for your name's sake. And then we just want to tell you, we end this day by saying every good thing is from you. You're gracious to us. You're kind to us. Your character is perfect. Your wisdom is tremendous. And we just exalt and lift up the name of a gracious Savior, Jesus. And we pray in his name. Amen. Mm -hmm.